0: Hello and welcome to Improving Scottish Football. My name is Kieran, and today on the podcast we've got Jamie Hamilton who is a football coach and a writer. The episode today is all about tactics. Jamie is well respected in this area and his writing has influenced tactics at in Malmo, the Swedish champions and he's also been quoted by the Hungarian FA and the Italian FA as well. So we're going to be talking about things like positional play, total football and relationism. Now, obviously I'm not a coach. I don't have any great tactical brain, but thankfully Jamie explains it all in a very easy to understand way. But of course, if you are involved in coaching, you'll definitely enjoy this episode. We're also obviously gonna be bringing this back to Scotland and how it applies to us and really why we need to explore more tactical diversity in Scotland. Please do make sure you're subscribed Please leave a five-star review if you haven't done so. And please continue to like and share and all that good stuff. Also, if you want to get in contact with me for whatever reason, my DMs are always open on Twitter and you can email me. ImprovingScottishFootball at gmail.com Maybe you've got an idea for a guest. Maybe you want to be a guest. Or maybe you want to sponsor the podcast. Whatever it is, feel free to reach out. Let's keep this going. Let's improve Scottish football. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Hamilton. Jamie, how are you? I'm well, Kieran. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Uh, looking forward to it. Good. Oh Well, I'm delighted you uh, you agreed to come on. Um, can you give us a brief introduction to yourself, please, and tell us about your connection to Scottish football?
1: Uh, yeah, um, I'm a football coach at Air United Academy. I uh, currently coaching in the under-16s, um, and I'm also a football writer. Um, I've been doing both of those things for about 10 years now, um, and in that time, I've gone through various coaching positions in, in Scotland in various environments, uh, worked up to getting my uh, UEFA A licence, which I have now, and on the writing side of it, um, I've used medium and Twitter, various online uh, uh, mediums of getting my work out there, and you can find me, follow me on Twitter. I've been doing uh, various types of tactical analysis uh, during uh, this period of time, which is, uh, leads me to this point here and uh, speaking to you, and it's uh, great to be on uh, a podcast and having a conversation specifically about Scottish football, which is something I probably haven't been known for in in my writing
0: yeah because i obviously came across you on twitter and i've been reading um bits and pieces that you've been publishing uh i'm obviously not a coach i don't have any great kind of tactical uh background or or awareness but um i've certainly been fascinated by what you've been talking about which is a term that you've coined called relationism is that right can you give us a bit of a uh, uh an idiot's guide to relationism if you don't mind
1: um, yeah. So relationism is, a, as you say, it's a, it's a phrase I coined, but at, at the outset, it's very important to acknowledge that much of it is based on the work of Brazilian uh, tactical analysts, uh, what they call jogo functional, the functional game. And relationism is an extension of that or uh, an interpretation of that and what it is, is it's drawing a contrast with the what I think is generally perceived to be the dominant tactical paradigm in modern football, at least at the elite level, but also it, it filters down to all levels. That dominant paradigm being what's known as positional play, or in Spanish, juego de posición. Um, the most well-known and high-profile exponent of juego de posición. Or, positional play at the current time is Pep Guardiola. Um, and I don't think I need to spend much time outlining how influential uh, Pep Guardiola has been over the last 15 years. But, and again, I think it's, jet, if you're into football and tactical history, it's uh, fairly well known and well documented that Guardiola didn't come up with this uh, concept of positional play himself, although he certainly developed it and added his own twists to it. Um, it goes back well, a long way, really, and without going, you know, making this a tactical history podcast, probably the most uh, clear focal point of positional plays development came with uh, Dutch total football, with uh, Johan Cruyff and Rinus Miekels. Uh, and it's an idea that is, I, I think there's a lot of misinterpretation about what total football is. Um, Total football being something that's very uh, important in understanding what positional play is. Positional play is a style of football or a a way of organizing a football team that's based on designating uh, specific zones to the players. So if you're the left winger, then you have the space on the left and that's your zone. If you're the number six, the defensive midfielder, you have that area of the pitch and that's your zone. Now, of course, in football you move, it's not a static game of chess, but it's all about degrees of movement, and uh, Pep Guardiola, to give a modern reference, calls this the rational occupation of space. He, will, uh, he has said that you uh, can move, but you move in the zone you are designated. Now. Of course, in total football, one of the common memes, if you like, that people understand from total football is that all the players play everywhere, right? It's this: uh, oh, yeah, the right back striker and the left, the left winger plays midfield, and, that, and that's that's you know, in many ways, that's true. But what's happening in this interpretation of of football, in this uh, positional play, and this, and there are many different interpretations of positional play. It could be the more static, rigid version, Antonio Conte, Louis Van Gaal, um, but. If you look at teams like Postacoglu now, and also going back to the original formulation um, of Cruyff and Mikkels, the players can move around. So yes, the right winger could go to the striker, the left winger could go to the midfield player. But what would happen is that another player would switch into their space. Mm. So you could have constant rotation between these spaces or slots, if you want to call it, but the overall structure of the team would be largely maintained. Okay. So if positional play is using space and designated areas as the primary way of organizing a football team and for players to orient themselves on the pitch, then relationism doesn't do that. It says, forget that. What's important is that the players move, use the ball as a primary reference and move to support the ball carrier in ways that they can make connective lines and connective movements to progress the ball forward. So this could lead to the left winger moving over and playing one twos with the right winger. Absolute no problem. This relationism, you can even encourage this. And we don't need anyone to go onto the left side, no problem. There's a fame and a touch point for people as well to maybe try and crystallize this a little bit. Would be uh, if you, you can search on YouTube, Thierry Henry's interview with, on Monday Night Football, and Thierry Henry uh, spent time with Guardiola at Barcelona, in a, in a in a very you know in a fantastic team, and Henry uh, goes to the tactical table and they get the team out and they do they uh, they talk about how it's working and. Henri talks them through it. And he says and in the first two thirds and the build up through to the central phase of the play, it's very ordered. It's very, you have to do what the coach says. You have to be where he wants you to be. You have to make the kind of passes that he wants you to make. Uh, and he says it gets a little bit freer in the final third, but not so free because he tells a, a story, an anecdote, mm-hmm. of a Champions League game when uh, Barcelona were playing. And I think if my memory serves me, it's uh, Sporting Lisbon. And Henri uh, is, is talking, and he says he was playing left wing in this match. But the play was happening on the right. I think Messi was on the right. So the ball was with Messi quite a lot, and he was doing his, you know, Messi stuff. And Henri thought, well, you know, I'm kind of bored out here on the left. <laughs> I want to, I'm, you know, I'm Thierry Henri. I want to go and play football with Messi over there. They're having fun. I want to go play one-twos with Messi, and, you know, and, and play. And uh, so he did. He went, he went over, and he says he, looked, he, he remembers Guardiola going mad on the touchline and he thought ah, to hell with it i'm going over uh it went over to the right for a little bit made some moves made some plays uh, ended up scoring a goal actually um but at half time he was taken off <laughs> guardiola took him off and Henri was like what, what's the problem but of course this becomes understandable when you look at it through the lens of what positional play is. for guardiola that system is paramount so What relationism proposes is uh, a, a fairly radical alternative to this, almost an inversion of it, which says that the positioning of the players is actually a result of their relationships. The positions on the pitch arise through the relationships and what's happening in the moments of the game, rather than the position being established first and the relationships emerging from that positional structure. And we can see that happen with positional teams. Postacoglu in Scotland, some of the the viewers and listeners might be very familiar with Celtic of of Postacoglu. Very good team, but repeated patterns. Uh, You see the same moves, the same inversion of the fullbacks, the same underlapping runs from the eights, same kind of spatial occupations and rotations in every game. Because the positional structure gives the, the, uh, the base and it's that initial imposition of positional structure which allows relationships and the complexity of the football to happen in relationism we start with the complexity almost unbridled complexity chaos if you like and we then try to allow the players to self-organize using uh, other modes of, of organization which give rise to where they are on the pitch so it's an inversion of, of, of positional play and of course, that comes with its controversies and with its detractors. Um, but it's been since it's been uh, coined, and since the, the the term has been put out there by myself and my main collaborator, collaborator Gorka Melchior, who's a, who's a Basque analyst and author, um, it's 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 gained popularity. And I think it's important at this point as well to mention the Brazilian coach Fernando Diniz. Who I think at this point many people would be familiar with um because he's his Fluminense team recently played against Manchester City in the World Club Championship in yep, Saudi yep. Arabia, that they lost 4-0 in the final. Um, but his story is is closely linked with 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 relationism. And it was actually what through watching his team Fluminense, um in in what year are we in? We're in 24 now, so yeah. The summer of 2022, when I first saw Fluminense play, uh, I was very confused, right? Because I was uh, also someone who understood that positional play was generally the tactical paradigm that was was facilitating possession football. And I was a bit of a disciple of that myself, Um, coached that way as well. You know, everyone wants to be Pep Guardiola, right? It's like this kind of uh, cult of the coach. But watching Denise's Fluminense really shocked me out of that way of thinking because what I was watching was a style of play that I'd never seen before a very loose, a very innovative, a very uh, spontaneous style of football where the players seemed to move everywhere and there wasn't much structure and I didn't understand how it worked. And after watching, and also the historical precedence to that style of football, it's not that Denise did it in a vacuum. Uh, and through watching those games and analyzing those movements of, of Denise's Fluminense and with the help of others, we're able to uh, propose a, a set of heuristics, if you like, a set of tactical motifs, a set of repeated patterns that we presented in, in an article called What is Relationism uh, early last year. And since then, we've seen a lot of um, interest in the concept, from not only from fans, but also from coaches. Mm. Uh, coaches in 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 you know high positions. Let's say uh, one of the coaches was Henrik Ridström, who's just won the championship with Malmo. Um, he's implemented much of uh, many of the ideas of the system. Ended up with me going over there last summer, um, spending time with 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 Henrik and the staff and the team and the players and watching the trainings, and also the fans as well. And there are yeah, there's many other actu- uh, incidences of relationism. Uh, popping up in these high-level coaching discussions, Luciano Spalletti has mentioned it. It's on the curriculum yeah. I was yeah. sorry. I'm, I'm talking a lot here, and I'm trying to truncate. <laughs> there there's, there's there's a lot that's happened, but hopefully, even there, we yeah we can get into it more. But there there's a little there's a little bit there that we, we can hopefully grasp onto.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's that that's absolutely fascinating, and thank you for kind of laying it out for me because genuinely. I have a vague grasp of, you know, positional play and total football and stuff like that. But that was actually very helpful. And I I was going to bring up, because I remember Spalletti's comments um, a couple of years ago, where he basically was saying something along the lines of, there's no such thing as fixed positions. It's all about space.
1: Yeah, I think it was systems, he said. There was no such thing as systems. Maybe he said fixed business. Maybe you're right. I I can't remember the quote. I I remember the quote, but I don't remember the exact wording of it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't either. But I remember it, you know, causing a little bit of a stir. Mm. Um, And, you know, when I started trying to understand relationism a little bit, that was kind of the main thing that that I I kind of thought about. Um, But, yeah, so that's very cool that you've effectively been um, picked up a little bit by uh, by the Malmo manager, flown out to Sweden.
1: Well, not flown out. I, I, he, didn't, he didn't fly me out. Uh, it was like more like a study visit, let's call it.
0: Okay. He encouraged you to go out. He's very happy
1: to have me. Let's say. Okay. That.
0: Very happy to have you. Yeah. But also, not just Malmo. Uh, you've also been kind of working with the Hungarian FA. Is that right? Well,
1: I uh, working with it, it, it is again. I wouldn't use that term. Um, but yes, there's a there's a there's a link there now and. There's a link between Hungarian football and this uh, the great tradition that Hungarians have. And again, I think a lot of football fans will be uh, familiar with the the mighty Magyars, right, of the team of the 50s, mm-hmm. not least because they humbled England 6-3 in 1953 at Wembley Stadium in what many people call the match of the century. And it was a lot to do with movement, and it was a lot to do with fluidity. Um the, again, a common meme from that game is the number nine Nandor hit at Guti, dropping deep. He was apparently the first false nine, although you can trace that back to the Austrians as well before that, the Sindelar. But lots of movement, Pushkash, of course, in the team, Sandor Koskis, great players. And there's lots of one-twos, lots of movements, lots of rotations, lots of uh, very fluid play. Um, so for Hungary... There's always been an, an attachment to this kind of the style of football, this kind of intuitive, spontaneous style of football. And it was Hungarian coaches uh, that traveled to Brazil and were uh, also pivotal in the development of the Brazilian style that was so successful, 60s, 70s, and 80s. So there's a, a Hungarian influence there. When I'm talking about these comparisons... I'm not saying that positional play is is not doesn't work. Clearly, it does. Like absolute. I'm not saying <laughs> you know, it, it's rubbish and you shouldn't do it. Clearly, it's very effective. But what this is about is looking for alternatives and looking for what I call tactical diversity mm. rather than a homogenous approach to football tactics. Which again, we can get into. Um, but yeah, it's really fun for me uh, to be, you know involved in analyzing and researching these ideas but then and that you know putting them out online and you know I'm in my flat you know watching these games and writing these articles but then when it actually begins to manifest in the real world of football and top coaches and top into I mean Hungary a fantastic team they're well they're playing Scotland right this this summer yeah we're
0: going to see this firsthand aren't we
1: yeah very possibly I mean it looks like they're set on on using this style of football so yes it looks likely that Scotland will come up against this. Um, And when you've got players like uh, Dominic right, who's Mm -hmm. at Liverpool now and has been a fantastic player for already for a number of years, um, a a wonderful midfield player. Um, When you've got players like that to build this uh, type of this type of alternative relationist system around, um it can it can be it can be spectacular right and the the hungarians are fairly early in the cycle of implementing it but already you can see i I actually posted a couple of videos on twitter just the other week about the um showing some of the some of the patterns that hungary have been using in their later european qualifier games um so yeah there's there's these interesting links that, that keep popping up um through coaches who are interested in this alternative and i think that's for me it's really exciting on for 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 a number of reasons. Um, just one more point as well, just about this homogenization and tactical diversity. A touch point for people would be the article that was written by Juan Leo, who is Pep Guardiola's assistant at Manchester City. He was previously his assistant. He went to Saudi Arabia. Now he's back. Um, seen as many as like a coaching guru, Spanish guy, very deep thinker about the game, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he critiqued the World Cup in Qatar during the tournament in an, art, in an article for The Athletic. And his comments were that he was disappointed because of the homogeneity of the styles. He said things like, uh, you know, if if I didn't know like Brazil against Cameroon, but they both play the same. A training session is the same in South Africa as, as in Norway. Everyone plays this two-touch football. It's all the same. Yeah. Basically saying we've lost diversity, we've lost this kind of uh, authentic expressions that different nations uh, used to have, which I think was a huge appeal of the World Cup, certainly for me growing up. It was like, wow, you've got the Brazilians playing here, the Dutch here, Argentina, the English there, and they come yeah. with their own style, they come with their own ideas, and they go against each other, and you get these really interesting matches, rather than Kind of Spider Man meme version of football where <laughs> you just get, you know, they, you know, it's like, you know, uh, mirror images going up against each other and they cancel each other out. And that's how I feel a lot of time when I watch modern day uh, football is this, this, this you, you've got these coaches with very similar ideas uh, going up against each other. So, yeah, uh, it's really for me exciting and energizing to see that this these alternative ideas are not only appealing and interesting, but actually seem to have some practical. Uh, i mean we knew that anyway from the from the the brazilian uh, lineages right and also fluminense winning the copa libertadores with this maverick style when everyone said they were crazy but it it worked malmo won the championship using uh, a a lot of these ideas hungary winning the group it's interesting it's an interesting time for sure
0: yeah well we're gonna definitely get into this um uh thing about you know countries having their own mm. distinct style we'll we'll come onto that very shortly because i think that's a really fascinating conversation um i just want to kind of bring this on to kind of scottish football a little bit in terms of this need for tactical diversity mm. now from my perspective i get the feeling and i don't know if this is just you know just what i'm hearing in the media and you know interviews with coaches and maybe i'm doing them a disservice but i feel like a lot of the tactics in scotland revolve around whether we're playing 442 or 352 and it all seems to be very much based on positional play and and quite regimented and i guess my question is do you think there is in scotland a need for us to start thinking a little bit beyond you know those uh, more traditional yep. kind of you know ways of ways of coaching and, and tactics or am i or am I doing us a bit of a disservice here
1: well i'd I'd make a distinction as well just at the outset as I think you're right in the sense that you're the that you say a lot of people think when when people think of tactics that word they think immediately of formations right mm-hmm. four, yeah four, two, four, I'll get to that in one second and although that is a, an aspect of positional play and you're right to say it it's almost I'd make the distinction between what I've been talking about in terms of the Spanish juego de position and the Dutch total football, which is a much more, uh, let's say, I want to say regimented because it, there is fluidity in it, but it's uh, it's a different type of positional play from this more direct uh, British classic running game um, where, yes, players stick to their positions, but it's not so much the idea of endless ball circulation, right, on the ground. I mean, we know that teams in Scotland don't play like Pep Guardiola's Man City. Like, apart from, I think, Celtic under Postacoglu would be an exception, probably, under Rodgers. I think there are two positional uh, coaches in, in the sense that I'm using the term. But yes, an emphasis on formations, uh, I think, is something that springs to mind a lot when people think about tactics. And, they, and, and also the fact that people would... Associate certain formations with being attacking or defensive. And again, this for me is a massive misconception when someone says, oh, a 4-4-2 is defensive or or a five-three-two is def- no, this is not the case. It, it depends how you play it. You mm-hmm. can have most att- I mean, Alex, Ferguson's Manchester United were a 4-4-2, and they're one of the most you know, attacking teams you could watch. Um, it depends how you're playing it. What we have to think about is what are the what do tactics mean in Scotland? And I think there's, to be honest, for me, there's, as a, as, a, as a coach and a football fan, looking at it from this more tactical perspective, there aren't that many interesting tactical teams in Scotland. Um, actually, the the last team that I really got a little bit more excited about and actually traveled to watch was the Dundee United team of uh, Andy Robertson, Ryan Gould, Gary McKay-Steven, Right it was a cool team. They were playing interesting football, lots of one twos, lots of close combinations, lots of, uh, lots of interesting play. I think McNamara was the coach there, but I mean, and then, you know, it could be the case, no disrespect to Jackie McNamara, that maybe it was more the fact that those players were there at that time, that the, the the, the team was playing like that. Well, um, of course he has to facilitate that. So he deserves, uh, deserves credit for it. Um, but yeah, it, it's in terms of tactics. Um, I think in Scotland, we, think about the game in formations and then we think about the game in terms of in my opinion through uh, we put too much emphasis on physicality um, and I think we I and mean, this might get on to lead us on to the question about what it is um, uh, you know what Scottish football is from a tactical perspective um, because at the moment uh, for me there's not a huge amount uh, to get uh, for the, you know to get excited about. And I don't think that's being derogatory. I don't. I don't want to try to put people down or put anything down. But if you look around Europe, I don't think there are people or commentators or analysts there focusing on Scottish teams um, and saying, "Hey, have you seen?" And I'm not talking about a team that has to win the league or even win a cup, or or or, or you know, you have to win some games obviously to get some interest. But you know. If there's a team playing interesting football anywhere in the world these days, with the amount of analysts and the the tools that people have, people will talk about them and say, hey, there's this team in Indonesia. Have you checked them out? They play really cool football.
0: Well, well, there's there's plenty of of Scandinavian teams are probably quite a good example. Scandinavian teams. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for sure. Bodo Glimpse, maybe an example, a, a recent example for sure. And there's teams from all over Europe that people think, wow, interesting coach, interesting style, check them out. Probably going to do, Might you know, we might see more of this coach later on. This is an interesting style. And I'm happy to be corrected on this, but I don't really see that happening in Scotland. Um, and, you know, Celtic and Rangers can perform pretty good sometimes in European competitions. But I think we have to take the old firm as something a little bit separate. There are, you know, for the rest of the, the football pyramid and there are the other teams that are sizable and have huge followings and huge energy behind them. I think there's probably a bit of an underperformance in terms of European uh, competition. People would look at saying, oh yeah, the money this, the money that, but there are teams from you know small nations who perform well um, in these, in these uh, competitions. So from a tactical perspective in Scotland, I would say there is, uh, yeah, there's perhaps a little bit of a, um, a lack of what I would call interesting and progressive um, football tactics. But at the same time, I think that's a very big opportunity um, because we haven't, let's say, become too attached to a, a style of play, a, a tactical paradigm. I think perhaps tactics in Scotland is somewhat of an underdeveloped um, idea.
0: Mm. Yeah, tactics is an underdeveloped idea in Scotland. <laughs> well, and is, no, is, it's, true. it's
1: true. Yeah, I don't like saying that.
0: No, no, yeah. but everyone who listens to this podcast is, you know, is is pretty much aware of, you know, everything you've said there, uh, and I think it's completely fair. And I think there's a frustration among many fans that we aren't seeing that tactical diversity. We aren't seeing new voices and new styles of play. And fundamentally, the football that we do generally get to see within the SBFL is isn't overly thrilling, and you know there's a lot of nil nil draws there's a lot of pretty drab football and um i think i think you can get exciting moments of course you can
1: right and 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 football and football fans love seeing certain things and certain moments of football and you can have and and i don't know i'm certainly not trying to uh, tell people how to enjoy football mm. you know people enjoy football in whatever way they want that's what's so great about it um, but from from my perspective and i just speak from, from from myself um because i'm looking at it through this this tactical lens um, I'm look, you know, I would love to see football that Scotland used to be associated with, you know, back in the back in the 60s, 70s, in the 80s. These, if you watch, you know, Scotland v Brazil from 1982, where we're taking on one of the best teams ever, right? And one of my favorite teams of all time, it's an incredible uh, football team. For the early parts of that game, we played good, you know, and we didn't just kick the ball and defend. We played. We played one-twos, we played pass and move, we were entertaining to watch. There was a rhythm to our play. There was was bravery, courage on the ball. There was guile. There was dribbling. There was, you know, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. So when I'm talking about tactics, I'm not just talking, I'm, you know, hopefully it's clear now that I'm not talking about this kind of Guardiolan paradigm of everybody this, I want everybody here. And it's like this chess master playing football. Not not at all. For me, tactics emerge from the base, emerge from players. And again, maybe this leads into what we're going to talk about in terms of, um, in terms of what it, you know, what Scottish football is what it might be what it has been um but yeah i want i, I love to see the tactics emerging from the interactions the relationships of the players and really expressing themselves and to me that's close combinations one two tricky. but yeah we can we can
0: get into this kind of thing nice well let's well let's get into this okay of thing then so um you know before uh we started recording you you were talking to me about uh this book that has i guess you know influenced you quite a bit which is called brilliant orange hmm. by david winner and this is all about how dutch culture and how it shaped you know the dutch style of football is that correct and and your belief that really in scotland we should be trying to create a style of football that is distinctly scottish am i am i saying yeah. that right yeah i think so broadly speaking yeah okay so to contextualize
1: this uh even from your perspective right doing this podcast improving scottish football you're talking to a lot of people um about you know ways to improve scottish football right this is this is the conversation and we have a lot of these conversations right they've been going on a long time by the way i think it's great of course that you're doing this and and, and making giving people an opportunity to hear different voices and different opinions but we have had these conversations a lot, right? What's going wrong with Scottish football? where you know and a lot of the, the the and everyone has an opinion on this. If you just go on any forum board or Twitter thread, you're going to see um, everyone has an opinion. and that's good. Obviously people are engaged. Even if we look at the um, previous guest, I think um, uh, the Graham McDowell, mm-hmm. um, author of the book The System. It was very interesting to hear those kinds of ideas about how things like uh, maturation age, uh, relative age effects, you know, non-linear development, um, how we can organise our systems better to 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 get um, more of the talent in at the right areas, at the right places. All this stuff is very very important, right? And and it's good that smart people are having these conversations. But for me, and there's lots of work to be done on that for sure. But for me, there's a there's a there's a stage prior to any of that and that stage because we always thought oh we want good footballers we want to create footballers we want this yeah but we have to be in my view we have to be a bit more clear about what do we mean by football because football as i have explained a little bit in my interpretation and i think many other people's interpretation is not a homogenous thing it's not just football is not just football right football is interpreted because football is a human game it's not an abstract game that you play, although many would probably like it to be uh that you play on football manager and that's 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 a re- that's a simulation right that's a representation of football. Football happens with real people moving their bodies on the ground with a football right so given that, football is always interpreted because the human is always interpreting right your subjective being right so The foot, the way you approach the game is dependent on who you are Mm -hmm. and who you are is to a large extent formed by the environment that you are exposed to, that you grow up in. Mm -hmm. And these things uh, are very important in football because when you're on the ball, you have infinite options of what to do. Do you look for a channel ball down the line for the striker to go and run to the run and try and get hold of and hold the ball up? Or do you look close for a teammate who's approaching to make a pass and move uh, action? These are all choices and there is all ways of organizing football. And if you look at, again, we mentioned it already, but classical uh, interpretations of football, like the Brazilian style and the Dutch style, I take these, I think they're very, they're easy touch points for people to grasp to. Uh, The Brazilian style is completely different from the Dutch style. Mm. The Brazilian style is based on fluidity, rotation, not of a lot of attention to, 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 to everyone sticking in the right, in the, in the right spaces, but going and connecting and relating to and interacting with players. And there's been many studies and books written about this kind of where where does that where does that flexibility come from? And then you start thinking about, huh, well, there's interesting cultural artifacts like capoeira, for example, is one commonly um, cited. Influence on Brazilian football, the slave dance that came from Africa um, and that, that started to develop in, in Brazil. Actually, it actually began as a as a way for slave, well, as far as I understand, for slaves to hide this martial art within a dance, so they could they could use it while they they could they could train it right. Um, they could say, "Oh, we're, we're just dancing," um, until they they actually used it. And if a capoeira again is a fairly commonly um, known. Um, dance or martial art, lots of swaying, lots of movement, lots of fluidity, and lots of moving in relation to the, to the, the caporistas or moving in relation to each other, lots of instability, lots of off-balance movements, these kinds of things. Um, and it's fairly, I think, reasonable to map an influence of aspects, not just that, I'm just using one example, um, of those kinds of cultural aspects to then manifest in the style of football um to, in argentina next door to brazil you would have the almost the folkloric figure of el pibe right the golden kid and this this is like the street kid right the street urchin who's always up to mischief and playing tricks right he's always trying to get one over on the on the establishment and always you know this kind of trickster figure and when maradona for example um, you know uh, emerges People make that connection, right? He's this, he's this, he's this trickster, mischievous figure. And is it a coincidence that so many of these style of number 10s right, emerge from that environmental milieu? Maybe to some degree, I, you can, it's difficult, you know, I'm not saying that one exactly causes the other. but what Winner, David Winner does, the book he mentioned, um, Brilliant Orange," the subtitle, "The Neurotic Genius of Dutch Football," is he performs a kind of cultural analysis. Um, on on what it is to be Dutch um, from a number of different perspectives. And he then tries to uh, demonstrate how the Dutch style of football, which is what we've been discussing, this kind of positional total football, actually emerged from the intersections and interactions of numerous different cultural, anthropological, aesthetic aspects. An example, uh, the Dutch use of space. A lot of the book of of Winner's book is about space, he calls the, the Dutch a nation of spatial neurotics, right? It's one of one of one of his uh, <laughs> one of his phrases, and what he means by that is uh, he he uses examples like the fact that the Dutch uh, is a, Holland is a low country and it's a lot of it's below sea level, mm-hmm. so they had terrible problems with flooding. So a lot of the of their time and effort was driven towards trying to use to protect their space, right, and build dikes and certain types of formations. To try and uh, keep their uh, land from flooding right and this kind of obsession with how to preserving space and using space in innovative ways we can go and it sort of seeps into design into architecture very interestingly and something i've written about and perhaps not particularly well known is that the term total of total football actually comes from uh, total architecture Which was, yeah, which was uh, an architectural, almost kind of avant-garde architectural movement. The total architecture of the total city was about trying to uh, create a, what would you call it, a coherent overriding system, which each of the individual aspects of the city, while they were different and individual in their own aspects, they would adhere to this overriding patterns and overriding system
0: mm.
1: also religious ideas uh, ideas about authority ideas of authority in europe and the, the is, is in, in a country like holland for example would be seen as perhaps a bit more rigid uh, i'll give you an i'll rather i'll give an example um, and this is from one of joseph Boshik's articles and talking about this relationship with authority and again a comparison between holland and brazil actually sorry Boshik's example here is switzerland he says uh, in Zurich, uh, he paints the picture of a, a doctor's waiting room in Zurich, and up in the top corner, uh, there's a sign that says uh, "Silence, please" in the in the in the waiting room, and uh, you know the TV. There's a TV is on, but it's on silent. Go to Brazil, Rio, Sao Paulo. The sign still says "Silent," but the TV's on. Right, there's noise and there's chatter, and this idea of that just because there's a rule doesn't mean it has to always be adhered to. In Brazil, Borshik suggests, and other writers too, many other writers and commentators, that there's a flexibility here. There's a negotiated aspect to rules, right? And that manifests in the football. And you can see it. There's more rigid patterns. Watch Antonio Conte's football. Very rigid, very strict. Piches Fabregas explained how, when he went to play for Conte, The guy would literally tell them exactly how he wanted the ball to go up the pitch.
0: Yeah, Fabregas couldn't stand that, right?
1: He hated it, right. He wanted to pass and move. A lot happier under Wenger, right? A lot more flexible under Wenger. A lot more negotiated in the moment between the players. Okay, we're off on a tangent. Scotland. So if we're talking about these kinds of environmental aspects affecting the play of countries... Mm-hmm. Which again is completely well known and well documented. And again, I'm happy to be corrected on this, and I, I certainly don't put myself as any expert on Scottish history or, or or anthropology or anything like that. But what I would, I think, would be very valuable, is the kind a kind of research into what kind of aspects of Scottishness and our Scottish culture, Scottish environment, Scottish history, Scottish anthropology. Um, and changes in those things, of course, because, you know, what Scotland was 500 years ago is not what it is now, and it won't be what it is in, in the future. But how are these currents, these flows, these, um, these forces uh, influencing and shaping the, how we are interpreting football? And then if we can establish some of these things, is it then possible to develop or propose a way of playing football a tactical approach, right? How the players are organising on the pitch that can, in some sense, reflect that. And, of course, you don't want to engineer things so precisely, but I think an awareness of these factors and then perhaps this can lead to a more clearer idea of what is Scottish football? What, how do we want to play? Because at the moment, I, I don't really see a, a coherent idea of what that is. I see a lot of emphasis on physicality, a lot of emphasis on fighting to the end. But every, country, every team wants to fight. You know, yeah. everyone, every team, want to, you can, that could be anyone, right? You can put more emphasis on physicality, no problem. But I think there's been a real, for me, because the thing is, Scotland is, I, I'm in Glasgow right now, right? I'm in Charing Cross in Glasgow. The first international match ever, right, was played not very far away in Partick. I don't know how far that is, a couple of miles. I've actually tra- coached a session on, on Partick Cricket Ground, right? That kind of like holy ground, if you like, of, of, of football history. And we had the, such a pivotal role in the development of football. And we're known as one of the first developers of past, again, historical accounts may differ, right? But yeah. popular lore suggests that, and <laughs> I'm happy to go with that, right? Uh, yeah. uh, popular lore suggests that we or Queen's Park specifically, um, were the the founders of the passing game, right? Close combination football. That was seen as an identity. And it's very interesting if you take that Queen's Park innovation, innovation is something we can get to uh, from, from those early days of football to what's happened recently at Queen's Park, where we've actually seen the implementation
0: of a Dutch uh, system. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true.
1: Because and it was ended now yeah, it's no. ended now, Marin Boyker was hired um after being very successful in a z Altmar developing their academy um was hired at i assume great expense uh, he was he was uh, very respected. Uh, he is. He's gone to Ajax now. And yeah, very I, I, I've, I've so missed.
0: Great. I've missed my chance to get him on the pod as well. And oh, you might. I, listen. You should get well, in touch well, with him. Well, I, well, I was messaging. He was. He was up for coming on, and then um, right. literally like two days later, he was announced as the, uh, yeah, as the Ajax. Uh, I'll see what I'll see what I can do. You should. Yeah, yeah do. I'm
1: sure he'd have some really interesting things to say about room yeah. And again, this is not a slight on on anything uh, on the way Dutch play the Dutch play football and the way Dutch conceptualize things, but it's interesting that the club who's most probably most known around the world, if you go through Wikipedia, if you're a kid in wherever, like Africa, Asia, and you search Scottish football history, Queen's Park's going to pop up because of their association with passing football. So it's interesting that that exact team thought that the best way to go about things was to parachute in a Dutch uh, model. And that's not the first time, by the way. Mark Votter, of course, was uh, the performance director of the SFA. Um, and so you you start to want, I wonder, right? I wonder like, can, can we not think for ourselves? Like, I mean, not to be harsh, but like, are we stupid? Do we, why do we have to go on these fact finding? Like we can take influence from around the world. All good. I do that too, in relationism, especially influence is all good. But at the same time, we have to think and develop things for ourselves. We can't just go to whoever won the last tournament, France, Holland, Germany, it'll probably be Japan or whoever, right? Go, oh, what are they doing? Let's do that. Like, no, because that's Dutch, right? That's French. Like that, we're not that. Okay, we're something else. We're Scottish, and we have to. In my view, it's very, very important for us to take ownership of that and try to understand what that means. Yeah, we're never going to get that perfect, obviously, because it's a very changing, fluid thing. But to understand some of those aspects. And then use them and use our ingenuity, our intelligence, our nous, which I would say most Scottish people would associate with uh, as a trait of, um, of, of you know, look at me, we invented, uh, we, Scottish people invented the steam engine, penicillin, telephone, I can go on. Everyone knows, you learn some school, right? This is the common, again, common cultural meme, right? So like, why, where, why can't we innovate in football? Yeah. So, so yeah, I I have a for me, we have to start with this question of what it is to be Scottish and how does that relate to how we want to play football?
0: Hmm. Very interesting. And so just to just to clarify, then the you're not talking about this just being about the national side. This isn't just about, you know, Steve Clark and the national team. This is about everyone working within Scottish football, trying to really dig into Scottish culture and Scottish history and trying to let that help shape our 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 style of play and okay so so give us a little bit to go on then you obviously referenced some things from Brazil and 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 Argentina what about from Scotland what sort of things could we be looking to potentially try and bring into our football
1: um okay so first of all I think it's you know while I'm talking like this yes that we're talking from we were talking about national teams so I think from an you know from a national perspective, yes, there has to be some kind of more collective uh, coming together and maybe a compromise of more regional um, outlooks. I guess, I guess that's what being a nation is, right? Um, to be a coherent nation, but of course at the club level, um, while i you know, this is a again, this is a, a relationist way of approaching football. So using this relationist lens, yes, we can look at it on the national level, but we can also look at it on the local club level, right? Aberdeen, uh, you know, Berwick Rangers, wh- whoever you are, what is your locale, what is your environment, what is the geography like, okay, what is the weather like, the weather is an interesting one, even to talk, and, and again, so when I'm talking about clubs, we can get into, uh, all clubs have their histories, and I think it's very important for clubs to stay in touch with their histories, uh, because the clubs are representing representations of the people of that area, Mm-hmm. and we see that diluted more and more on this global level now where you know petrodollar states are buying clubs uh, and 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 it's yeah it's it's getting weird so i think it's nice that um, germany has the 50 plus 1 rule right, which is i think a good thing it keeps ownership uh, of the clubs to be anyway that's another thing we're talking so you're asking about what kinds of things might be interesting to think about when we're trying to develop maybe and we'll take i guess we'll talk about it on the more national level right um to give us something um that we can maybe commonly conceptualize but yeah i mean again i'm not not the expert on this but off the top of my head you know things like the weather it's like you know in and again to, to compare in countries with very warm humid climates you might see a slower tempo of football because a direct example of the in physical environment affecting how the play is played. Now, uh, Scotland isn't the most humid and warm of countries. Uh, in fact, probably one of the things that characterises Scotland's weather is its uh, rapid changes. Right, mm-hmm. there's that. Um, I don't know who said it. Uh, if you don't like the weather in Scotland, wait fifteen minutes. <laughs> you know and and, 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 and you, know, you get the four seasons in one day you get all this kind of thing and you know it's true like certain yeah, times yeah, yeah. Of year, you know and perhaps that's something that we can that we can channel maybe sometimes we play slow maybe we then go into very fast aggressive uh moments of football uh we have quite a dramatic coastline landscape not like the dutch flat right suits a kind of uh almost like risk the board game <laughs> style of football right when you've got this like this nice flat space where you're going to push things around. Scotland's not like that. It's very, uh, it's rugged, it's dramatic. People come from all over the world to, to, to experience these kinds of the effect that these kinds of landscapes have on um, on an on emotional and human level. And is there something of that drama that can be put into, into uh, to Scottish football to strike you know, with real force, um, have moments of calm, Um, and so this is talking about tempo and rhythm there's also I I touched on it a little bit with the Argentinian example I touched on it a little bit talking about the Scottish players of the past in terms of like mischief and trickery but I think humor is another thing that I would um, that I would cite because I think again most Scottish people would be would would you know be of the opinion that Scotland has a particular uh, (laughs) style of of humor yeah uh, and Maybe people in other countries get it. Maybe they don't, you know. Um, there's a kind of this, there's a there's almost a gallowsness to it, a, a mischievous uh, dark side to it. Um, and, you know, I don't have to list comedians. They can, you know, people can think of them quite easily. But this can manifest in football. And I think that's probably one of the things that lacks most in Scottish football is that, is that sense of fun. Um, when you see a player really enjoying themselves, tricking the opponent, you know, Dancing when they score a goal. I love to see that, you know, when, when players are having As a coach, it's the best thing when the players are having fun because when they're having fun, they're expressing themselves and they have a freedom. But I don't know, in Scotland, there seems to be this, everything has to be work, hard work, hard work, get the head down, get it. It's like, yeah, okay, that's part of it. But we have to have fun. Mm-hmm. And we have to encourage the players to have fun and use their sense of humour to make a fool out the opponent, right? To really trick them. And I think we love to see dribblers in, the, in this country. And I think there's been a dearth of dribblers. Yeah. And it's not only in Scotland, but it's other places too. Uh, when you watch the 67 uh, Cup final, um, when Celtic going against Elenio Herrera's Catenaccio of Inter Milan, right, in Lisbon, this fabled defensive, the Catenaccio meaning the padlock, right, the bolt, right? To unlock, to unpick that lock, the tricksters had to be on their game, Right. They had to have very clever, ingenious, mischievous aspects. And Bertie Old and Jimmy Johnson—they dribbled past them, right? They jinked, they faked one way and went the other. They deceived them, right? So this again, and then you can even link that these ideas of, of 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 a of a deceptive aspect to things like our, you know, again, I'm no historian. I've seen Braveheart, right? Um, Coming back to you know our wars of independence, right? When we're going against these large regimented forces of the imperial establishment, we were more of a guerrilla force, right? Lots of movements, lots of fakery, lots of trickery. And we had to rely on those kinds of that kind of ingenuity, that kind of innovation, that kind of bottom up self-organization rather yeah. than just top down regimented from the king down. Okay. Again, I'm making a very uh what generalized view of history here, but hopefully people can get the point. It, you know, Scotland wasn't
0: like that. We're the underdogs, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, we're the underdogs. We're coming that, that from underdogs,
0: the underdogs is yeah, probably the one word I would associate. Yeah, you know, Scotland with more than anything else, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and when you're the underdog, you gotta you gotta use other things apart from just brute strength, because they'll beat you on brute strength. And in, in football, anyway, like FIFA just give you a yellow card now if we try and play in Europe how we play in Scotland. And that's another thing, by the way, is our, how we interpret the rules. But we we from for me, we should be encouraging. Well, there's well, there's there's a few things, I suppose. There's yeah, year the of um. The weather the geography could be used the uh, ideas of humor um and that kind of emotional attachment uh, our historical aspects in terms of in terms of this underdog status to our big neighbor and um, our innovative um uh, nature and our in- inventions and these kinds of things so again these are loose and i'm just you know throwing some yeah, things yeah. out here but yeah hopefully people can get the can, can grasp onto some of them
0: that's good you know I, I wanted you to throw some things out there just so we could get just so we get a, a, an idea it's really interesting <laughs> Listen, Jamie, um, we could go on and on, um, but I want to kind of bring this uh, podcast to a close, I think. Um, but I think in the future, I would love to get you back on and we can maybe dive into some of these topics in a little bit more detail, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. It'd be great to continue the conversation. And yeah, I'd, if if again, I am by no means uh, the the arbiter of this hopefully some of the things we've talked about could, could get people talking and get some ideas thrown about because it's all about getting these ideas in from diverse perspectives, throwing them together, mixing them up and uh, being a bit chaotic about things, not too regimented embracing that kind of fluidity and chaos and, and seeing what emerges. So yeah, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you, Kieran.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Good. Well, before I let you go, I do have one final question, of course, which okay. is the question I ask every guest, which is, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about Scottish football, what would it be? I think,
1: and I suppose I just repeat myself, but something very simple, just to make it fun to watch.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a nice easy one we can all get yeah. behind. Um, where can people find you? Um, uh, on Twitter is is um, uh,
1: where I put out my work and and, and make... Uh, comments so it's at sterling under slash j sterling is in the town um sterling under slash j i'm just jamie hamilton if you type in yeah jamie hamilton relationism then
0: plenty will come up anyway if you want to do the internet thing brilliant good okay well listen jamie thank you once again and a big thank you to everyone who was listening this podcast was produced by edinburgh documentary films which is a film and media company co-founded by me kieran hennigan so we make documentaries for tv and cinema but we also work with companies and brands to help them tell their stories in impactful and meaningful ways you can find out more at edinburgh and please contact me directly if you'd like to talk about any potential projects